just imagine. The mightiest heroes of our time. Superman. Batman. Flash. Green Lantern. Wonder Woman. Hot Girl. John Jones, Manhunter from Mars. Have banded together as the Justice League to stamp out the forces of evil wherever and whenever they appear. The Fire and Water Podcast Network proudly presents... JLU Cast. Hello and welcome to the 22nd episode of JLU Cast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network covering the animated adventures of the Justice League and their eventual evolution into Justice League Unlimited. I'm one of your hosts, Cindy Franklin. And I'm Chris Franklin, and today we're covering the ninth two-parter from Justice League Season 2, Hereafter. Not bearing the lead here, these are some of our favorite episodes from the series, and in fact, we covered these episodes once before on Supermates, in episode number 28, along with the Superman the Animated Series episode, The Late Mr. Kent, in an animated Deaths of Superman-themed episode. But they deserved our more in-depth JLUcast-style coverage, so we're doing it again. Hereafter originally aired November 29th, 2003, written by Dwayne McDuffie, directed by Butch Lukic, and with music by Christopher Carter. Our voice cast, we had Kevin Conroy as Batman, Maria Canals as Hot Girl, and Livewire. Susan Eisenberg as Wonder Woman, Phil Lamar as Green Lantern, Carl Lumley as John Jones, George Newbern as Superman, Michael Rosenbaum as The Flash, Corey Burton as Metallo, Toy Man, and The Weather Wizard, Brad Garrett as Lobo, Phil Morris as Vandal Savage, Dana Delaney as Lois Lane, Michael Dorn as Calabac, Clancy Brown as Lex Luthor, Ephraim Zimless Jr. as Alfred, and Jason Marsden as Snapper Carr. So, man, that is a hell of a cast right there. <laughs> We have all been wronged by the same man. We have. We all seek the same redress. We do. We agree to work together to achieve our ultimate goal. We will. Speak your names. Toy Man. Livewire. Weather Wizard. Kalibak. Metallo. Speak the word and seal the pact. Revenge! A group of hooded figures meet in shadowy chambers. Pulling back their robes, they reveal themselves to be Metallo, Toy Man, Livewire, Weather Wizard, and Calabac. They vow revenge on their mutual foe as they plunge daggers into a table emblazoned with the S-Shield emblem of Superman. This Superman revenge squad sets their plan into motion, attacking downtown Metropolis in unison, waiting for the Big Blue Boy Scout to arrive. Toy Man readies his giant armored robot as they detect something fast approaching. They are surprised to see that it is Green Lantern and not the quarry they are after. The rest of the League appears, and Flash and Wonder Woman send Metallo and his kryptonite heart far away from the battle. After Batman stalls Calabac, the Man of Steel himself arrives, just in time to give the son of Darkseid a well-deserved punch. Toy Man turns the tide back to the villain's favor when he activates the large ray weapon in his robot's chest. He blasts at the city, seemingly disintegrating cars, buildings, and any objects the weapon's spherical energy blasts touch. The League moves quickly to save the civilians in the weapon's wake, but Toy Man eyes a bigger prize, a downed Wonder Woman, with Batman coming to her aid. He fires the beam, and without hesitation, Superman flies in to protect his friend. Give it up, Toy Man. You'll never hit me with that thing. Maybe not. But what about your friends? 
energy crackles around the Man of Steel and acting like an x-ray shows his skeleton as he screams in pain and then disappears into nothingness. Superman go bye-bye! Toyman declares his victory in childlike fashion as everyone else stands dumbstruck and silent in the Weather Wizard's man-made rain for several seconds, not believing what they have just witnessed. An enraged Wonder Woman breaks the silence by toppling his robot and then threatening to murder him. Stay back! It's full of acid! Ah! Do I look like I'm playing games? What are you going to do to me? I'm going to punch a hole in your head. We don't do that to our enemies. Speak for yourself. I'm trying to speak for Superman. Flash intervenes, reminding his teammate of how Superman would have handled the situation. Batman retrieves the last remains of his fallen friend, a remnant of his red cape. The world mourns the loss of its greatest hero, with Snapper Carr and other newscasters covering the event from every angle, including the question of whether the League has a future without its most powerful member. As the other Leaguers prepare for their friend's funeral, Batman refuses to attend, believing Superman isn't dead. After gathering debris from Toy Man's rampage, he shares with his faithful butler, Alfred, that there is no scorching, radiation, or residue of any kind left on the objects that were touched but not disintegrated by Toy Man's beam. Matter cannot be created or destroyed, so the Dark Knight believes his friend is out there, somewhere. At the services for Superman, Lois Lane is angered by the arrival of Lex Luthor, but even Superman's most hated foe admits to a grieving Lois that he'll miss him too. Heroes from across the galaxy, from Green Lantern's to Orion, to Aquaman, and Dr. Fate gather to pay their last respects while Jean delivers a stirring eulogy. Though we gather here today, bound together in sorrow and loss, we share a precious gift. We are all of us privileged to live a life that has been touched by Superman. The Man of Steel possessed many extraordinary gifts, and he shared them with us freely. None of these gifts were more remarkable than his ability to discern what needed to be done and his unfailing courage in doing it, whatever the personal cost. Let us all strive to accept his gift and pass it along as an ongoing tribute to Cal-El of Krypton, the immigrant from the stars who taught us all how to be heroes. The heroes carry the empty casket to its resting place, a newly developed memorial park constructed in Superman's armor. Later on the Watchtower, the Leaguers swap their favorite Superman stories, but then their attention turns to more practical matters. Should they recruit a new member to bolster their ranks? After suggesting some potential candidates, a call to Batman to make his membership official falls on deaf ears as the Dark Knight is busy. Before they can even announce an actual recruitment drive, an applicant arrives on a flying cycle, bursting through the watchtower and nearly sucking the occupants out into the vacuum of space. He introduces himself as Lobo, someone Green Lantern knows as a low-life bounty hunter with a bad reputation. The main man, as he calls himself, has come to replace his old friend, Superman, and won't take no for an answer. After he continually makes light of their loss, Wonder Woman responds by throwing him around the watchtower. Lobo takes this as the start of an audition to prove his worthiness and begins tearing the place apart, attacking the League. Back in Metropolis, Batman follows a lead to Superman's memorial site, but still finds nothing. Losing faith in his convictions, he begins to open up to his absent friend when an explosion erupts across town. Another dead end. I'm beginning to wonder if I might be wrong. I've got some things to say. 
I should have said them when you were here, but... Despite our differences, I have nothing but respect for you. I hope you knew... Know that. You showed me that justice doesn't always have to come from the darkness. I'll miss... What did you always call it, Clark? The never-ending battle? Calabac and Livewire have escaped from police custody and are now joined in general mayhem by Copperhead, Deadshot, Volcano, and Star Sapphire. Batman fires a missile from his Batwing at Calabac, but is downed by Livewire. Ejecting on his Bat Glider, he takes out Deadshot and Copperhead after landing, but Livewire zaps him from behind because electricity is, well, you know. On the Watchtower, the battle with Lobo continues until Wonder Woman has enough and slams his face into a column. Lobo still thinks he's on the team, and while Jean reads him the riot act of what the League stands for, Green Lantern interrupts with news on a siege in Metropolis. The Leaguers head out in the Javelin and take Lobo with him, unwilling to leave him alone in the Watchtower. The heroes engage the villains, and after a bit of back and forth, with some teamwork they emerge triumphant. All are accounted for, except Calabac, who has been beaten into submission by Lobo. But that's not enough for the main man, who attempts to smash his down foe with a car. Hot Girl and the League intervene, but Lobo feels he's proved his worth, asking, Who needs Superman? The team hang their head in answer. Say it! Say it! I can't hear you! He's beaten! Put the car down! I was gonna. Pretty good, huh? When you got Lobo on your team, who needs Superman? Elsewhere on the open plains of a strange alien landscape beneath a red sun lie several circular pieces of the city of Metropolis. Cars, street signs, sidewalks, partial storefronts, and the unconscious but still living body of the Man of Steel. To be continued, yes. Uh, I remember not expecting that ending after all. That's a hell of a hook. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... <laughs> I mean, we'll, we we'll definitely want to backtrack here, but yeah, it's a hell of a hook. Uh, the opening, uh, this is very reminiscent of the cover of The Adventures of Superman number 543 from February 1997, where the Superman Revenge Squad is plunging daggers into the S-Shield. That's As soon as I saw this episode, that's what it made me think of. Uh, the Superman Revenge Squad is an old concept going back to Superboy number 94, January 1962. It, it, there it consisted of aliens who wanted to get back at the Boy of Steel for thwarting their plans. And the Revenge Squad seemed to change every time they showed up in either Superboy or Superman comics. A lot of folks remember them as a group of bald Luthor lookalikes who dressed in Superman costumes with the S-Shield and glowing green kryptonite from their oft-reprinted appearance in World's Finest number 175 because it was drawn by Neil Adams. So, you know. Uh, there was a Batman Revenge Squad in that comic, too. Uh, the aforementioned Adventures of Superman 543 featured the first teaming of established Superman villains organizing in the post-crisis era, although most were fairly forgettable, minus Maxima, who also made it into the DCAU and is the favorite of our pal Derek Wayne Crabb. Okay. He loves Maxima. Our revenge squad here is composed of adversaries from Superman the Animated Series as well, although all but one have new voices. Corey Burton, who famously voiced Brainiac on Superman the Animated Series in Justice League, replaced Malcolm McDowell as Metallo. 
Bud Court as Toy Man and Miguel Ferrer as the Weather Wizard. Our own Maria Canals replaced Lori Petty as Livewire, but you just can't replace everyone's favorite Klingon, so Michael Dorn returns as Calabac. I wonder what the issue is with the replacement. Probably just timing. I think it was timing and probably budget. I mean, they probably literally couldn't afford all those people. You know, all those people are fairly famous people, and I'm sure they don't come cheap. So, you know, they, they you know, it's probably a case, well, and Michael Dorn, they already, Calabac had other appearances in this season. He was in Twilight, so maybe they recorded all this at the same time. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, when the squad attacks Metropolis, we do see Maggie Sawyer in the Special Crimes Unit, although I always expect to see Dan Turpin, even though I know better. Right. I mean, obviously, he's not going to show up after the events of Apocalypse Now, so thinking of Calabac, but whew. Green Lantern tells the team, watch out for the Iron Giant. Those darts are no joke. Uh, so that's another Superman connection to the Iron Giant movie. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was cute. Toy Man's robot looks like one of those cheap but cool walking robots you used to see at Radio Shack. Back in the day, Andrew had one of those. Remember mm-hmm. that big red? It, it looked a lot like this robot, actually. Well, Danny played with it, too. I know. Both- I think it's somewhere, you know... The, I think it's bagged up in the, I think it's in the basement. Probably. I think it's in the basement. Yeah. I think cause I was down there one day messing around and the thing went off. I think the batteries were still in it and it's like scared me to death just about. So, uh, <laughs> uh, there are some nice bits in this fight because Dwayne McDuffie is just a master of character work. I mean, the dialogue is just crackling in, in both these episodes. I mean, Dwayne McDuffie doesn't get enough praise, uh, for the work he did on, on this series and he'll do on JLU. Uh, itself, but uh, Livewire says these guys travel. These guys travel in bunches. Maybe we should call this off. And John just phases through the rubble while they're standing there and just says, "Excellent advice." I mean, that's just. <laughs> I love that moment. It just and it suits the character so well. Uh, it's nice to see the Weather Wizard take on the Flash. Of course, he's historically a Flash rogue, but he and Superman teamed up against Weather Wizard in the Superman episode Speed Demons which we really need to cover here one day because mm-hmm. that's like the first team-up episode on Superman Animated Series. So uh, I keep quoting that opening fight, but Wonder Woman blocks Weather Wizard's lightning with her bracelets to protect Flash, who's down, and he says, There are so many reasons why that shouldn't have worked. <laughs> but comics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, copyright Michael Bailey, because comics, yeah. Uh, what did you think of Flash, of how Flash and Wonder Woman got rid of Metallo? It works. <laughs> he's like, here, I got an idea. Hold this. And he's, they just like, they basically just run up to him at super speed and just like, like a rubber band, just shoot him across the, across the city. I mean, he's like, I mean, and you don't see Metallo again. So I don't know where he went, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Weather Wizard makes a tornado and Green Lantern is just making bubbles everywhere, catching people with, while cars and tanker trucks collide and explode, and it really sells how dangerous this guy can be, and honestly, how badass John Stewart is too. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it. I mean, you really think the Weather Wizards, you know, often just lumped in with the other rogues. But what's really weird about the Weather Wizard is his model looks like Miguel Ferrer because Miguel Ferrer was a big comic book fan, but now somebody else is doing the voice, so it's really weird. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really strange, but. Uh, Calabac knocks Wonder Woman into a building and it teeters over. I mean, that's, there's some brutal stuff in these episodes that they, I mean, that, that's pretty brutal fight for this show. I mean, there's some up close brutal stuff later, but 
again, another fun thing. Batman knocks the Weather Wizard's wand out of his hand, and he has one of his best action one-liners. Maybe you should get a strap for this. I don't know. I keep thinking about, you know, with Wii, you know, when we, we had a, we, we have a Wii system and when you play that, you know, you put the strap on there so it doesn't get away from you. It just makes me think of the Wii, playing with the Wii. Yeah. And even, you know, when you don't use it or even when you get too excited, we have thrown those things across the room. Mm-hmm. I mean, we haven't played it much in a long time, but yeah, we, we definitely did. So what did you think of the Batman Calabac tussle? Was that too Bat God for you? It really wasn't. It worked out that way. <laughs> You know, I mean, I can see the judo throw. That's fine. But the fact that Superman says, I don't think you could have taken Batman either. Uh, no, I, that's, yeah. that's giving him a little too much credit there, Clark. I, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, I think it would pop him like a pimple if he got a hold of him. Uh, and then Toy Man unleashes his weapon. I really like the design of these energy balls and it makes it seem more toyetic because you can imagine a robot like that shooting like foam balls out of his chest or something. But they're obviously very deadly. I mean, he didn't even know what they're doing, really, uh, as we'll see later. But uh, we see the leaguer save civilians in the weapon's path right before it hits. And Hot Girl grabs a man out of a classic 1957 Chevy convertible before it is blasted. Remember that one, folks. Mm-hmm. That's going to be important for later. That'll be on the quiz later, so remember that. And then Superman dies. I mean, we know he's not dead, but man, they sure sold it like it was the real thing because the rain, everyone just stopped. Some of the characters like Hot Girl and Green Lantern were in the midair, just dumbstruck, and it's just really fantastic. I mean, then that lightning cracked and you get a a really pissed off Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. You're coming at Toy Man's. What did you think of her reaction? I mean... I talk about how, you know, and a lot of people say, well, hot girl's a hothead, blah, 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 blah. But Wonder Woman's the one you really don't want to piss off. Because she will crack your head like a walnut. Well, Wonder Woman's more passionate. You know, hot girl's more of a hothead about everything. That's what I'm saying. But Wonder Woman's like, you just just killed my friend. You stepped over the line. And, I mean, she tells him he's going to punch a hole in his head. Mm -hmm. Which, the whole thing with Toy Man, you never know. What is the deal with him? They never explain. It's like, does he have a mask on? Is What is, you know, he's so creepy. You Mm -hmm. know, he's got this mannequin dummy face. But you could just, I mean, you can just, when she says that, you can just imagine his cracked face. Which, I think they've seen, you know, I think in other episodes they've shown, like, his cracked face left Mm -hmm. behind. You can just imagine that, but with him still attached to it, so... Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, true. They never gave the animated Superman the S on the back of his cape, which is too bad here because that was such an iconic image from the 90s Death of Superman story, you know, where he fought Doomsday. The tattered red cape with the yellow S strewn on ramparts from the battle, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, on the cover of Superman 75. If the S had been on that piece of cape Superman had found, it would have actually made it more powerful. But it's not part of the design on here because it's a pain to, but to animate. So right. They can barely get his chest symbol right. So <laughs> uh, We then cut to the leaguers preparing for the funeral, and we hear Snapper Carr in the Expositional News Network, also copyright Michael Bailey. How cool are the Green Lantern dress uniforms? Very cool. <laughs> well, I mean, the, is it just me, or do they kind of remind you of the Starfleet dress uniforms from the Next Generation era? Hmm, I can see that. 
Yeah. You know, because they're the long, like, skirt type. I mean, these look like dusters. They're mm-hmm. more like long trench coats with big shoulder pads, but it's still that, that idea of a long coat. And I know you have to have some comments on Wonder Woman's costume. No, I mean, it. It is, you know, like for a special reception, special event, you know. Yeah. Did you notice she had the Bronze Age eagle? Of course. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. that I mean, that you know, that's like going back to the, that's the specific look it had back in the, in the Bronze Age, like the Super Friends and things like that. But should Hippolyta be there? Can because she... at this point, can, you know... Should she be able to go back to Paradise Island? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I maybe I'm getting my continuities mixed up. I know, up. that's what I'm trying to figure but out, But I didn't too. think, I thought once you left, you gave up like a certain... But I think that, you know, Wonder Woman was not able to come back because she brought men onto the island. Mm. Well, yeah, she banned her from the island because right. of that. Yeah, even though they saved the day and right. got rid of Felix Faust and, and uh, not, it wasn't Ares, it was Hades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, just, you know, a lot of times... Hippolyta, like when Donna Troy got married, she couldn't come to the wedding, but she appeared like to her and like they opened the door and she was like, she like basically come through some kind of portal and floated in the air before right. her and everybody's favorite Terry Long, you know, mm-hmm. and gave her blessing and said, you know, y'all, you're my daughter and I had to come, blah, 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 even though she couldn't set foot on, on the estate, actual land, on the actual man's world, Steve Dayton's estate. Yeah. So. Snapper's dialogue indicates that dignitaries from over 400 countries are attending the funeral, so the world must have finally forgiven Superman after the whole Son of Darkseid thing in Legacy. Right. <laughs> Which is good, you know, with, I'm glad we're beyond that now. So, Hot Girl is shown mourning on her own in the mountains, which is interesting considering where the character is going to go in a few episodes. But, I mean, it just goes to show that she's going to be conflicted, you know, about what goes on in those episodes. Now, Jean's line about how many battles did we win by him just being there, that doesn't quite ring true given the evidence we saw of not-so-Superman in Season 1, but clearly we're way past that now, and I think we're kind of trying to forget it. Uh Yeah. (laughs) I mean, these episodes, let's face it, go a long way to totally wiping that away. But uh, So we know Batman's right, but what do you think about Batman refusing to believe Superman's dead. Is it based clearly on empirical evidence, a gut feeling, or is he in a bit of denial? Call him A, B, and C. <laughs> so D. Mm-hmm. All the above. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Uh, it's always great to hear uh, Ephraim Zimlis Jr. and see him as Alfred. I love his line about... As you say, sir, I believe I heard something about that when I attended grammar school. So, unless the law of conservation of mass has been repealed... There's still hope. That's wonderful news, Master Bruce. Nevertheless, don't you think you should make an appearance? What for? I've got work to do. <laughs> he's got that sardonic wit. I just uh, He's just great. So, And Alfred will actually return later in the season for an even bigger role in an episode. Or two or three. But we won't. Yeah. Spoiler one. So. Okay, time to list all the cameos we get at the funeral. And this is who we caught. There may be others. And if there is, you guys let us know. Uh, so we see Green Lantern, Tomari, uh, Kat Matui, Kilowog, Larvox, which is the, I don't know, I've heard people say he looks like a potato with tendrils or something. You know, got the one big eyeball. 
and we see Kyle Rayner, uh, who isn't in a dress uniform, but this actually addresses the fact that yes, Kyle Rayner, the Superman a- animated episode introduced Kyle Rayner is still canon. Just because John is the Green Lantern of Earth right now, him and Kyle have swapped out or something. Uh-huh. So uh, we see Alfred and Tim Drake, uh-huh. uh, which makes sense because he worked with Superman. Uh, and this is before the events of the flashback events of Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, obviously, because the Joker's still around. So Tim Drake is still Robin right now, which makes you wonder why. Well, I know why. I know why we didn't see Tim and. And we probably would have seen Tim in when we got to Justice League Unlimited, but they had that stupid ban on other Batman characters mm-hmm. other than Batman because of the Batman, which, ugh. But anyway. Uh, we also see Orion and Light Ray from the New Gods, Bibbo, Maggie Sawyer, Bibbo and Maggie Sawyer from the Superman animated series, Dr. Fate, Enza, Aquaman, and Mira, who we just recently saw, Angela Chin from uh, Superman animated series. She was a newscaster. Of course, Lex and Lois. Jimmy Olsen, Perry White, Jonathan Kent, Martha Kent, Kara Kent, Supergirl, and Lana Lang. There are probably more, but, you know, like I said, you guys seen them, we missed them, let us know. Uh, when Jean notices Batman hasn't arrived, Wonder Woman says he doesn't handle loss very well. No, not so much. <laughs> that might be the under, understatement of the millennium, actually. <laughs> and we're only, you know, you know, not too far into it, but I think it might be it. So I know you have to have an opinion on this. What do you think of the Lois Lex scene? Luthor, how dare you show your face here? Lois, I... You've come to gloat. You've tried to get rid of him for years. Are you happy now? Isn't this what you've always wanted? I hate you! I hate you! Believe it or not, I'm going to miss him too. That's just dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry, but if somebody had spent years trying to kill someone that I deeply cared about and, you know, honestly loved, do you think I would go up to them, you know, I would not be letting them hug me? Oh, hell no. <laughs> I mean, one, for somebody like that, there should have been basically a bouncer at the door about who gets in. You know, I'm sorry, but the Green Lantern should have been the bouncers. Yeah. Line, line the back. Make sure nobody gets in there because all of those people are there. All of the dignitaries, you know that there was all kinds of, you know, police force and everything there to protect the dignitaries attending the funeral. Right. So how did Lex even get in? He was pardoned, though. Remember? He was pardoned because of after the events of Still yet, Better World. You know that there's going to be, I mean. He should have been on the do not admit list. Exactly. Even if he was wasn't like a threat. Uh-huh. But just because of who he is to Superman. But the thing, even if he got in and everybody was kind of like, I can't believe he showed up. I mean, I can buy that because Lex, by proxy, still owns Metropolis, uh-huh. basically. What I don't buy, I buy Lois slapping him. I blow beating on him and... And but I'm, when she sinks into him and sobs. And here's the thing. Lois is trained in self-defense. Bullshit on a slap. I'd have decked his ass. <laughs> there would be no slapping going on. There'd be a right hook coming his way. <laughs> no freaking way. Just because she's female and has boobs does not mean that the slap is what happens. You deck him. <laughs> well, and 
you know, in the comic, classic comics, she knew the Kryptonian martial art of Klukor, which is often brought up on the network, so she could have pulled that out on him. But. Still, I mean, that is just dumb. Just because she's a chick, she had to go for the wimpy-ass slap. No. I, the slap doesn't bother me nearly as bad as, I think, the more overtly, oh, she's the fe- she's the female, she's the grieving widow, basically, Lois is, that she, like, falls into the arms of... I mean, she could have sobbed on any of the Justice Leaguers exactly. and it would have been fine. Yes. But the fact that she did it to Lex just kind of betrays too much of Superman's history. Well, and the, the simple fact is, how are they explaining that Jonathan, Martha, and Kara, and Lana Lang are in the front row at the funeral? Or the second row or whatever. Well, they're, they're definitely in front when we see the procession. They're like off right behind the, the league as pallbearers. Yeah, and I'm like... How the crap do you explain that? And where's Clark Kent? Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, and you know what? We know that they, Superman has Superman robots because in Legacy, he had a Superman robot. You know, Supergirl uh-huh. had one flying it around, so they could have yeah. dressed up a Superman robot as Clark Kent yeah. and had him show up. Yeah. To, you know, the League should have, Batman would have thought of that. Uh-huh. Well, Batman's the only one that knows he's Clark Kent, I guess, at this point. But, but, uh, but still, Batman would have, you know, done something to protect the secret identity but yeah. but yeah that you got those are all good points but the one that the the thing that really gets me is the whole lois thing and now we won't keep beating it up this is a wonderful set of episodes it, it is a wonderful set of episodes but again i'm sorry lois lane is a badass in her own right yeah the fact that she would go up to him and a slap him why she deck him yeah she would deck him and two, oh, please hug me while I fall apart, even though you're my love's greatest enemy. No. <laughs> I knew you had some commentary on this. <laughs> Just no. And I agree with you. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Of course you do, because I'm right. <laughs> uh, I thought. And Jean- I will die on a hill. Ain't nobody needs to write in disagreeing with me because you're wrong. <laughs> well, there you go. I thought John's eulogy was nice, and it makes sense that a fellow alien visitor would deliver it. I thought that was a nice touch. And then we do get the heroes carrying the casket in the streets. That's an homage to the 1992 death of Superman funeral for friends storyline. And, it, I mean, that image was a poster. It was on the trading cards. Uh, the leaguers are the pallbearers, of course. And Batman observes from the rooftop just as he did in the comics. And it's a nice touch that Diana is the one that notices him, Mm -hmm. you know. One thing I liked about when Superman died in the comics, they had Martha, Martha and Jonathan couldn't come to the funeral. Uh They were watching it on TV, and I remember that being part of it, saying, I can't believe we can't even come to go to our own son's funeral. Right. Because he died as Superman. And they ended up, like, burying, like, mementos, like, things that he had, like, and bring it in the yard that day. Right. It showed him doing that, like out on the farm. You know, I mean, what? I mean, seriously. Yeah. You know? So I mean, it, it makes more. But I mean, that would have just taken time away from the episode. And if they hadn't shown them, people been like, "Hey, where were the Kents?" Right. So that's probably why they were there. But the Memorial Park is also based on the comic version. Although I prefer the comic statue with the eagle on his arm over this rather gaudy-looking glass shield. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't even. It doesn't even quite look like the S shield. But I do like the S walking trail that they've got. That's nice. But the, the S shield monument's kind of... Eh. I don't think it is. You don't I think don't so? think it's gaudy. Hmm. I think it's kind of... I don't know. I just don't like the design of it. 
It looks like it looks like something that should be hanging in a Spencer's gift uh, store shop, you know, window or something. That's what it looks like to me. But but anyway, uh, the leaguers sitting around sharing Superman stories is a nice humanizing touch. I like that. You know, Green Lantern's like he held this grenade in his hand and it went off. And I said, yeah, I said "Are you all right?" And he said he paused and flashes like this is the best part. And it's like. I'm fine. And you? You know, just like, I was just like, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, then Jean brings up bolstering the ranks and Flash suggests Aquaman while Green Lantern recommends his friend Metamorpho and Hot Girl asks if Supergirl is old enough. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a nice touch. And now, oh boy, Lobo. Such, you love him so much. I, I really hate this guy. Mm-hmm. I only briefly gave a crap about Lobo when his first miniseries came out, and you know there was all that hype around it, and I bought it. It was funny, but on his own, he's fine, but I never cared for the DCU heroes just allowing this guy to roam about and even teaming up with him. He killed his race and his planet. He's a bigger mass murderer than just about any villain that they've ever fought in their universe, and they just... I mean, they might roll their eyes at him, but they still let this guy roam around. Wow. Yeah, exactly. That's the part that I just can't get. I mean, at least the league is equally disgusted by him, and that's what makes this work. And the fact that Brad Garrett gives a great vocal performance doesn't hurt either, because who doesn't love Brad Garrett? Everybody loves Brad Garrett, because he was on Everybody Loves Raymond, right? Mm. So, so but he's done a lot of other voice work. He was one of the two stupid dogs before Raymond. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he's done tons. He's been in Disney movies. It was entangled. He's in a lot of stuff. But, but, and he's great. But you know, that that's the only thing that that's the redeeming value of of Lobo in the animated universe, in my opinion. He appeared in the Superman animated series episodes, The Main Man parts one and two. Yes, they gave him a two parter, and Warrior Queen with Maxima before this, and of course there he was voiced by Brad Garrett too. Uh, so Lobo infuriates the leaguers by saying Superman is pushing up daisies, taking a dirt nap, and even puts on the black armband as a headband. Then Wonder Woman has had enough and tosses him around, and that makes him think they're wanting to have a trial by combat audition, so he starts, starts tearing the place up. Uh, so what did you think about Wonder Woman's reaction to Lobo? <laughs> Wonder Woman's my favorite in this episode. Because, <laughs> again... That's the reaction that a badass woman's going to have. She's going to take your head off. (laughs) I will admit he plays off the league well, and I don't mind him in this story, but a little Lobo goes a long way with me. I'm glad we don't see much. I don't know. I don't think we see him again in this series, and I'm I'm good with that. In the words of Bernie Mac, you don't go into a room of angry women. You will die. That's right. (laughs) Batman talking to Superman at his memorial is a nice touch because we've seen him do that with his parents in Mask of the Phantasm. Mm-hmm. So it tracks with this version of the character specifically. Uh, you know, and I, I like this. Like, you know, the explosion goes off and he's like, what do you call it, Clark? The never-ending battle? Right. You know, that's a nice. Uh, we get some nice villain cameos. And I love Calabac's line to the cops. This looks like a job for Superman. But I don't think he's coming. That's a sick burn from yeah. Calipac. <laughs> uh, I do like Batman's hang glider thingy. It's it's uh, it's like a wire apparatus under his cape, and then when he lands, he just takes it off as a backpack. So you know, it, I wonder. But it makes me wonder. Remember, it makes me think about those all um, oh, those flying discs that fold in on itself. Yeah, that it also makes me think about the the uh, uh, the wire armatures that come with some of the uh like the the mezco figures mm-hmm. so you can post it like i've got one underneath my batman mm-hmm. 
that's uh, he could they come with that you can like pose that way you can pose the cape and stuff it, it kind of reminds me of that but it, i didn't realize until this episode remember on uh superman the animated series and then the new batman adventures the new redesigned batman no oval had that jet wing thing that jet pack that he mm-hmm. flew with they never used it on justice league that I, if you guys know of when they used it and we've missed it, let me know. But I don't think he ever uses it, which is weird because you think he'd use it more when he's around a bunch of flying heroes all the time, but he doesn't. So the battle with Lobo is really well done on the Watchtower, but I don't like this guy getting it over on the league even momentarily. I mean, he calls a sentient bike to bail him out a few times, then flash hops on it trying to control it. It's a fun gag, but I really like. Wonder Woman just pile driving his head into the wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Hot Girl gets to hit him in the head with her mace. That's nice, too. Again, Bernie Mac. <laughs> Do not go up against a bunch of angry women. You will die. That's right. Uh, I do like Jean's brief speech about the League being more about more than power. It's what separates them from guys like this. I don't think some modern creators get this, that mm-hmm. it's just about machismo and power and strength and all that garbage you know so all right already guess i'll let y'all stay on the team with me but i'm the leader the justice league is about more than physical power it's about ideals caring helping buy me a ticket to pukesville all right all right (laughs) and then hot girl (laughs) he's talking on the javelin she's got her mace in her hand she's like you need to be quiet now (laughs) that that is why hot girl is your spirit animal (laughs) <laughs> that's something I can see you saying. You need to be quiet now. <laughs> well, I'm like, you know, I'm, I work with children and some of them are challenging. And I'm like, you're done. <laughs> but, but you are done. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yep, I've seen it in action. So, uh, Deadshot is once again played by Michael Rosenbaum, who of course is the Flash. And he's doing his Kevin Spacey impersonation, which is very unfortunate now, uh-huh. unfortunately. So, uh, there are some nice bits in the various fights. I particularly like how Flash takes out Livewire. She jumps onto a power line, you know, and, and she's traveling along the power line as electricity. And Flash races behind her, pulls the line from the pole, and drops it in a battered fire department water truck. And uh-huh. you, you hear her scream, and then you just look, Flash looks down in there, and she's just floating in the water. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's that's how you take care of her. Uh, Livewire, I think, was was definitely their attempt to catch lightning in the bottle. Mm-hmm. Pun intended. Another Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. That, was their, that was definitely them trying to make Harley Quinn 2.0 on Superman, and it never... Quite, quite caught, quite no. caught on. Although she went on to be in the comics and stuff. I know, so. but you know, yeah, not nearly. You know, I do. I mean, Maria Canals is fine, but I do miss Lori Petty's mm-hmm, voice, that, her delivery, because mm-hmm. she was, you know, she was great in that. Because she was pretty much playing Lori Petty. So if you've seen Tank Girl, that's what you get. So uh, I sometimes feel like Calabac was too much of a punching bag on this show. You give this him this powerful voice from Michael Dorn, who of course is this big, huge dude in real life, and you know, this savage inhuman design that's even beyond the way Jack Kirby drew him. And he always gets chumped by everybody. But that's the point. That's the whole point of him. I know. But I'm saying that's the whole point. He is this big bully monster that as soon as anybody stands up to him, he gets shut down. And that that's the point of Calabac. Yeah, I guess so. Well, they did the whole thing in the comics where Turpin fought him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess that is the whole... That, That's yeah. the whole... 
thing. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he was even kind of a pushover back in the old superpowers mm-hmm. days, too. So, uh, Lobo tosses that car into a building, you know, and they tell him, like, you know, don't, you cannot smash him with that car. And the league just stands there. I hope that building was abandoned. <laughs> so we get that teaser, and that's a hell of a teaser, but we'll get plenty more of that environment to talk about in part two, so let's get to it. Superman awakens, and after finding it difficult to remove a piece of pavement that's laying on him, he looks at his hands and sees that they are scratched and bloodied. He then observes the crimson skies, a large moon with rings of debris around it, and worst of all, a red sun. He calls out to see if anyone is around, but then notices his Justice League communicator earpiece is still working. Superman to Justice League. Looks like we've somehow been transported to a planet with a red sun. My powers aren't working. I'm picking up your homing beacon, but I'm not getting audio. I'll leave this channel open and attempt to move closer to your position. To follow the source of the signal, the Man of Steel goes to work, gathering items transported with him that he will need on his journey. He siphons fuel from the cars into gas cans, grabs water, snacks, newspapers, road flares, a hammer, and more, and places them in a cherry red 57 Chevy convertible and drives off. Time passes and we see a now bearded Superman continuing on his journey. He stops for the night in a canyon and builds a fire to keep warm. He nods off but is awakened by the sound of animals approaching. He looks up to see large wolf-like creatures above him. He tries to scare them off by banging a metal rod against the car, but they don't move. So he then throws a flaming torch their way and they finally disperse. Knowing he will see their kind and maybe other hostile creatures again, the Man of Steel puts his nickname to good use and forges a sword from the metal rod using road flares and a hammer. Later, amidst a snowy mountain range, his car runs out of gas. Walking away from the Chevy, he hears the sound of the wolves once more. He orders them to stay back, but of course they don't listen. They attack him, and he fends off the group with his sword and hammer. The lead wolf, with a bright red fur and large white markings, steps forward, and Superman knows that he will have to defeat the leader to tame the pack. The wolf leaps, and the Man of Steel slashes with his sword. Just you and me, huh? Guess this is where we find out who's top dog. Then we cut to him using the wolves as a team, pulling a sled made from the hood and seats of the convertible. On his back, he wears the bright red and white fur cape that once belonged to his adversary. The team stops at night, and Superman roasts the lead wolf's remains over a fire and feeds both himself and his team. He makes another call to the League, getting closer and closer to the beacon source. If I'm interpreting this thing right, we're very close to each other. I'm bunking in for the night and heading out again at dawn. Maybe we'll see each other tomorrow. Later, they come to a large canyon, the source of the signal, and Superman shoes his team away. Man and Beast reluctantly part from one another. Superman climbs down the cannon wall and arrives into a tropical climate at the base. He observes large cockroach-like creatures feeding on another one of their own kind before moving on to track the signal. He finally finds its source and is shocked by what he sees. The wreckage of the Justice League watchtower crashed into the planet's surface. The computer system recognizes Superman's comlink and lets him in. He searches through the tower, calling out to anyone who may still be on board. He makes his way to the computer monitor and finds the whereabouts of all of his teammates listed as unknown. He asks aloud where they could be, and a voice answers, They died, Superman. Thousands of years ago. That man is Vandal Savage. Savage confirms Superman's fear that they are indeed on Earth, thousands of years in Superman's future. 
He also reveals that he is the last remaining survivor of the human race, his immortality protecting him from the population's fate. He explains Toy Man's weapon actually released a tachyon beam, hence Superman's leap into the future. He tracked Superman's beacon for days, but was afraid he may hold a grudge for the previous times he tried to conquer the Earth and clash with the Justice League. Despite this, he invites his former foe over to his house. Superman, disturbed by Savage's obvious insanity, reluctantly agrees. On their way to his home, Savage shows Superman around the decimated remains of Metropolis and the one section he somewhat rebuilt, the Superman Memorial Park. He informs the man of tomorrow that he had a lovely funeral and that he even bought the DVD. Superman warns Savage he's not going to fall for whatever con he's running. Savage then confesses he regrets his actions, which led to Earth's destruction. I should never have done it. Done what? This. I destroyed the world. It was only a few months after you disappeared. I had just perfected an invention that gave me total control over gravity. I proclaimed myself master of the world. The Justice League would never have allowed that. True. They put up quite a fight. Green Lantern was the most difficult. I killed him right here. No. It was over there. In any case, I destroyed the entire Justice League that day. But that wasn't all. My newfound powers disrupted the gravitational balance of the entire solar system. This is the result. A furious Superman strikes his foe and then threatens to smash his skull with a large rock. Savage reminds him it would do him no good since he's immortal. Superman slams the rock down beside Savage's head. Then the once power-mad despot invites him to lunch. Savage's home is an architectural marvel, full of historical artifacts and books. Superman is surprised to find self-help titles among them, but Savage confesses he has issues, having destroyed the earth and all. As a hungry Superman devours the meal he prepared, Savage shows him his garden, where all his food comes from. Superman notices the abandoned rocket ship project he has. Savage admits he once planned on leaving Earth to search for life elsewhere, but felt he deserved the punishment of being trapped alone on the Earth he created. Superman stays at Savage's home that night, but finds he can't sleep. He leaves his room and wanders the corridors of the building, finding a large lab and something the Man of Steel recognizes, a time machine. He awakens his host and asks why he hasn't used it. Savage admits he never finished it after decades of work, partly due to a short attention span, and partially due to the limitations of this model time machine. Can't travel back to a time you already exist in. But Superman reminds him that he doesn't exist when Savage created his gravity device, so he could travel back and stop him. Superman inspires Savage to resume his work, and the two former foes collaborate on the project. They test the machine, but it doesn't work. Savage tells Superman it should work fine with the proper power source, and Savage knows where to find one. Savage and Superman mount mutated dragonflies and travel to the home of the cockroach creatures. About 30 years ago, some of the roach creatures broke in and stole my zero-point generator the only power source in the world capable of running my time machine. Can't you just build another one? I'm working on it. I'll be finished in another 50 years. Care to wait? The roaches have been using this miniature sun-like device to warm their central mound. Superman and Savage are attacked by the roaches but escape, although their steeds do not. Poor things. I know. They enter the nest but awaken the roaches and soon are set upon by hordes of them. Fighting their way through, they make it to a large, glowing chasm. Inside, Superman spots the zero-point generator. Savage tries to warn Superman, but a cockroach knocks him into the pit. Savage calls out to his ally as the roaches drag him away. Look out! 
Then, like a boss, Superman rises from the pit, the generator orb in his hand, and blasts the roaches away with his heat vision. Back at his lab, Savage tells Superman he suspected that the generator might restore his powers. He activates the time machine and tells Superman to stop his younger self from stealing the white dwarf star material from a scientist named Ray Palmer. Without the star material, Savage can never create that gravity device. Savage admits he hates to see his new friend leave, but tells Superman to do what he does best. Ray Palmer. Got it. What happens to you? Redemption if I'm lucky. Don't worry about me. Return to your friends. Do what you do best. What you were born to do. Save the world. The Man of Steel offers his hand, and the two shake before Superman jumps into the time vortex. In the present, the League chastises Lobo after the siege in Metropolis. Deadshot fires at Batman, but a speeding hand stops the rocket from reaching its target. Batman disarms the sniper with a batarang, and when the smoke clears, the League is stunned to see their savior is Superman. The heroes rejoice at their friend's return from the great beyond, and Superman quickly gives Lobo his walking papers, kicking him off the team he was never on. Superman tells the League he'll clean up after they take care of some business, and they fly off to find Ray Palmer and stop Savage. Superman! You're alive! Are, Are you okay? I'm fine. Very glad to be home. Flash? <laughs> Something in my eyes. Yeah, tears. It's okay, man. We all feel the same way. Superman, how can you be... Alive? Toy Man sent me to the future. Then Vandal Savage and I fought some giant cockroaches, and it's complicated. I love the beard. Keeping it? Not a chance. You were greatly missed, my friend, by all of us. Don't let him fool you. Your death hit him as hard as it did any of us. Really? No. I never believed you were dead in the first place. I guess that's sort of a compliment. Ain't this great? The whole team together again, all eight of us. Count again. You're fired. What? You're not Justice League material, Lobo. Go chase a bail jumper. I don't care what you do, just clear out. This is the thanks I get? What a stinking rip. Next time you lollipops need help, don't bother asking the main man. We didn't ask you this time. Guess you'll want to get cleaned up and find a new set of clothes. Not yet. We've got a job to do. Come on, I'll explain on the way. In the future, Vandal Savage sets in the Superman Memorial Park. Suddenly, he sees ghostly figures of people in futuristic fashions walking past. As they begin to grow in number and solidify, the city also begins to alter, becoming a futuristic utopia. The timeline has changed, and Savage begins to disappear. Thank you, my friend. Alrighty. Uh, the look of the alien landscape is really great. I mean, it makes sense as both an alien world and then Earth once you get the reveal. Mm -hmm. So I, I really like that. All the debris around the closer moon tracks with Savage's gravitational meddling. Mm -hmm. That was really nice. And I like the subtle bit of it being difficult for Superman to remove the pavement off of him. I mean, like, that's like the first thing, because he's like, ugh, ugh, you know, and I mean, it's like this piece of, like, street on top of him, you know, so. 
What did you think of Superman getting to work and putting a survival kit together like that? He's a form boy. He's going to be prepared. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we do know he, he never got his first merit badge. I know, I know, Scouts. but... But <laughs> but he was a farm boy, yes. Yes. Exactly. Clark grew up on a farm. I'm sure he siphoned gas from one tractor to another. One... I mean, that stuff... I mean, I know how to do that stuff. Is it gross? Yes. But can I do it? Also, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you have to be resourceful. You have to jump from job to job with ease, and you don't have time or the money to drive into Smallville every time something goes wrong. Right. So you, a lot of ingenuity in that job. So and it goes from day to night while he's working, so it took him a while, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, there's definitely a lot. This episode, the pacing of these episodes is more like what we'll get on Justice League Unlimited in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, you know, there there has been some padding in some of the episodes, I feel like to make it two parts. But in this one, I mean, this could have been a three-parter. Easy. Oh, easy. Easily. But yeah. it, it doesn't suffer from the from it. But because they do, because because Duffy wrote such a great uh, script and because they, the, 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 the animators and the director, Butch Lukic and everybody involved just did a great job of making it work in this time frame. But there's a lot of time passage in this, really, so... It, you know, it'd be interesting to, to try to figure out for Superman how long he was there. Because it has to be at least several weeks because his hair and his beard are so right, grown out. exactly. So, but anyway, uh, we saw the 57 Chevy in the previous episode. So that was a nice bit of setup. There. Right, right. So, yeah. I, I love the fact that he has a box of Flash-sponsored light speed energy bars. I mean, Flash is on the package. Yep. So that's great. We just covered that episode, mm-hmm. so... And, you know, he meets the wolves and these mutated wolves with the spikes on them. And, and you know, he figures out, okay, this is going to be a problem. So he forges a sword. Now, that is some that is some farm boy ingenuity. Right, right. Right there. Now, what did you think of that? I don't know if it's doable with, you know, with the heat. You know, I just. Was it hot enough to. Exactly. To do yeah. that with a sword. Yeah. But it sure looked cool. Oh, I mean, it, it, it looked, it really looked cool. But I would think about, you know. Putting that in an episode of Mythbusters, would that be possible? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, A, would the fire burn hot enough, and B, would it burn hot enough for long enough? And also, you know, it's really, it's a really pretty straight sword when you're dealing with just a hammer and a rock, not a flat surface. Yeah, true, not an anvil or something, yeah. I mean, again, beautiful shot, I, I liked it. But my whole logic class is going. It makes comic book sense, but does it make real sense? Right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, his beard and hair are longer than when he started, so I think it took either it took him a long time to do this, mm-hmm. or they screwed up and switched model sheets too quickly. You know, mm. as far as his look. But uh, I love when the car stops. Like the line should have taken the compact. I think any man, you know, would. You know, and I'm not just men, but women too. Anybody, I think, if you saw these cars, there's this classic 57 Chevy. You're like, I'll take that one. You know? Well, and when he gets in, he's got his arm over the seat and he's like cruising along. Yeah. One, one hand on the Riding steering wheel. Riding around in my automobile. Wolf creatures are chasing behind my wheels. <laughs> but again, they are, you know, they are not easy on gas. That's for sure. No, it's old gas guzzler, yeah. Uh, now, how did he survive that fight with the wolves at first? Because, I mean, they really show them like they rip his boot off. I mean, mm-hmm. it looks like they're biting him. Do you think he has some little latent invulnerability left or something? 
comics. Comics, okay. Just don't, you know. Yeah, that, I, I think they may have just went a little too far showing him getting that close to him. Yeah. Without being, he's got scratches and stuff, scars on him later yeah. that we see, which I assume obviously heal up when he gets the sun. I didn't check to see if they disappeared after he gets the sun on the episode because you should have been able to see him. I have to go back and look, but I'm recording now, so I'm not going to stop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we see the big one lunge at him. He slashes, and then we cut to him yelling, Yeah! And he's using them as a sled team. Yeah. How badass is that? <laughs> Talk about your alpha. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he definitely... I mean, and he's he's wearing the... <laughs> He's wearing the the fur as a cape, and and he the he made a vest from the white part of him. He's mm-hmm. got a fur vest, so you know. And then later, he's eating his, his flesh and feeding it to his his pack. Yeah, which I mean, you know, they're gonna eat whatever they can get a hold of. So I I know this one's probably hard to swallow for some of our listeners, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but the way I look at it. Hey, he's got to survive, you know. Right. And plus, Clark was a farm boy. You know, I know some. I know Mark Wade made him a vegetarian birthright, but most versions, Clark likes. Uh, what is it? Beef boy? Uh, how you say that? Uh, bouillon or what's that? Bolognese. No, it's no. not that. It's there's some dish that Clark likes. I can never pronounce it, but that's okay. like his favorite dish. But anyway, but you know, I would imagine that on the farm, Clark slaughtered beefs and pigs and and chances are you know he went you know deer and went hunting and that kind you know yeah maybe uh, maybe i mean maybe not but i mean uh, I, I, and he might have just question mark. they might have just had a dairy farm and they never killed any animals or anything like that that's quite possible too but even without all that you know he's got to survive mm-hmm. so and and there's not a lot of vegetation we saw him where he's been mm-hmm. and he's in the snow so there's not gonna be any vegetation and we saw him cut that one when he first made the sword, that one prickly cactus pear thing. cactus yeah. thing and like ate into it and was like, ugh. But then he kept eating it because he had to eat something. Something, yeah. So, so what did you think of his savage Superman look? I dig it. Yeah. <laughs> they actually did make a an action figure of it. Which I, we don't have. We don't have. There's quite a few of those later JLU figures I didn't get because the price went up. Right. And trying to find them. Trying to find them. You you know, they were only at Target Mm -hmm. and then they were only through Maddie Collector and there was so much stuff coming out. It was just, and getting stuff from Maddie Collector was such a pain. So, um, I would think, and I think the belt and the strap for a sword are made from the seat belts of the car. I would think. Yeah. yeah. They look. That's a good supposition. Yeah. I think they are because the buckle looks like that. His boots and pants are from his costume. Like I say, he's got the white fur. Best and the forearm wraps from the wolf, and you know he's got straps on the boots, and they're probably made from the blue of his shirt and things around that. It's a really cool look, you know that whole savage reminds. It's again reminds you a little bit. It reminds you of the story we'll get to later, but it does remind you a little bit of how Superman looked in Exile. Mm-hmm. You know the good version of that story from the comics, not War World. So <laughs> I like how the wolves don't want to leave him. One even looks back a bit before taking off when he shoes them off. Oh, I wonder though. I mean, he's going into foreign territory. Why didn't he take these bad butt wolves with him? How would he get them down that into the canyon? They're wolves. <laughs> yeah, but he might be afraid they couldn't. You know, they're in different terrain. They might not have been able to make it down like him. You know, so I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. I noticed the cockroaches were eating a dead cockroach before, but this right. t- but this time I did. That's a good way to show. That they're carnivorous, mm-hmm. you know. 
And then we get the big reveal. The watchtower crashed into the surface. So cue the Troy McClure. Oh my God, I was wrong. It was Earth all along. They are clearly referencing Planet of the Apes here. The top of the watchtower is even torn to look like the flames of the Statue of Liberty's torch. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the tilt's the same. I mean, you know, I was surprised he didn't drop into Sam. You did it. You blew it up. Yeah, just... <laughs> uh, Superman is security clearance 002. So did Batman make himself 001? Of course. Of course he did, yeah. Uh, I like how the Watchtower voice, which is Maria Canals again, says it's running on reserve power and will power down, you know, in between uh, jobs. So it kind of helps sell how this thing has remained operational for 30,000 years. Mm -hmm. That's some that's some some power batteries there. Aquaman is listed as if he's a reserve member, but based on his interactions with the team, I never took him as an official reserve member at this point, you know, because every time they meet him, he's pissed off. So, you know. <laughs> and then we meet Vandal Savage. I remember being pretty surprised to see him when I first watched this years ago, but of course it makes perfect sense. Even if he wasn't involved, that he'd still be here, mm -hmm. you know, with what's going on. So uh, what also made sense is that Savage was just happy to talk to someone. He didn't care if that was someone that used to be an old enemy. He hadn't spoken to another human in thousands of years. Here's where I have an issue. Okay. We know that in this universe that there are thousands of other inhabited planets. Mm -hmm. Why didn't those people come and colonize Earth? Mm. Or at least visit. I mean, you know. Mm. Why didn't they visit and mm. see if it was possible? I don't know. True. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. That's just, you know. Where's the Green Lantern Corps? Exactly. <laughs> you know, again, representative of, you know, thousands of different worlds. Surely the current climate, I mean, he's able to grow a garden. It sustains life. You know, you've got the wolves. You've got the cockroaches. You've got, you know, all of these different things. So it is able to sustain life. So surely there's another um, species out there in the universe that could have come to Earth. Mm. Some other sentient beings. Well, I mean, as far as Green Lanterns, whoever's the Green Lantern of Spectre two eight, Sector 2814, they might just, they're patrolling Earth, but, I mean, obviously, John was the Green Lantern that got killed protecting, trying to protect the Earth, and then it got destroyed. So, I mean, they might come in and check in on it, but they're not necessarily going to you would think they'd look to see if there's any life left and find Savage, but but that might they may have done that, you know, thousands of years ago, you know, and it's been thousands of years since. But that. still, yet Earth was a mover and shaker of a planet, so wouldn't you check on it periodically? Even if, even if yes, the gravitational pull destroyed life for a hundred years, you yeah. know, and yes, you know, Savage would be able to sustain that, blah blah blah. But still, yet, good point. Now you're, now you stop ruining this episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> Logic glass, damn it. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, Superman tells him he's insane, but honestly, who wouldn't be after all that? I mean, you know, well, you know a, yeah. a sane person would be insane, so. Uh, and apparently the watchtower remained in orbit up until 75 years ago, so damn, that's some good engineering. I'm mm. just saying. Uh, there's such great dialogue in these scenes with Savage and Superman. Of course, Bill Morris is back as Savage, and we've waxed that guy's car a lot on this show every time Savage has shown up uh, because he's great. I love his line delivery throughout this episode. He goes from funny asides to horrible confessions, and sometimes 
His voice doesn't even change. I mean, you know, when he's like, I killed Green Lantern there. Oh, no, wait. He's over there. I mean, just, yeah. just, you know, just like, like, I think that's where, I think that's where our garden used to be. There used to be an apple tree there. Oh, no, no, wait, wait, the apple tree was over here. I mean, that's, that's like, you know, it's like the same kind of, you know, it's just, and Superman's just like, this guy's nuts. But it, it really does show the toll, the, the toll of the, the guilt in the years have had on him, you mm-hmm. know. Um, Savage says Green Lantern was the most difficult leaguer to kill, which I think is interesting. And you can't blame Superman for ble- briefly wanting to kill this guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, he did kill, he did all of this. All of this is because of him. He killed everyone Superman loved, not just the Justice League, but Lois, the Kents, Kara, Jimmy, Perry, etc. Once again, Superman is a survivor of a dead planet. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, you can't blame him for, you know, losing his crap there for a second. Uh, but then we go to Savage's home because he says, you know, Superman's like, now what? And he's like, lunch? You know, just, just. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Savage's home is quite impressive, but if you had 30,000 years and nothing else to do, you could build a house like this too and have a huge garden and even a rocket ship and even if you decide, decide not worthy to leave. So what, what did you think about him? He had a rocket ship. Well, I mean, again, that goes back to my point before. He knows that there's other sentient life out there. Yeah. Well, but I mean, so, he chose not to leave. You know, I know, but I'm, but I'm still saying, yeah, you would think, you know, just like in Star Trek, you have them, you know, looking at different planets. Are they ready for us to make first contact? Yeah, wouldn't other planets be like, hey, wait, there's life going on down there? You mm. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, Superman recognizes the time machine because he's seen a few. Mm. You know, so. And the time machine design's cool. It's like this big, like, hole, like this this, this ramp. It kind of looks like Cerebro from the X-Men movies, kind of, but it's cool. Uh, the idea of not being able to travel in your own lifetime is one of those old DC tropes that they used for time travel at various times. Superman and Superboy, you know, famously couldn't time travel in each other's, you can't know. Can't coexist, Can't right. coexist. And they even famously swapped places when Superman accidentally traveled to his past as Superboy, and that sent his young self to the present to team up with Batman and Brave and the Bold number 192, which is a great story by Mike W. Barr and Jim Apparel. If you guys want to look that up, that's a great one. Um, apparently, Savage is powering his home by hydroelectric dams, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, you could have a thousand dams, and it wouldn't couldn't power this this time machine. So, Savage just mentions the zero point generator is like a miniature sun. Just once. Uh-huh. If you weren't paying attention, you could totally skip that. Skip the, that little detail, For yeah. the payoff later, so. And it's kind of brutal, like you mentioned in the synopsis. We see the roaches kill the dragonfly. Oh, thing. it's nasty. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're like over top of him, and he's going down, and then you see the shreds of his wings going up in the air. I know. I mean, it's very Starship Troopers. Yeah, these things are definitely, definitely Starship Oof. Troopers. Yeah. Uh, I'm really surprised that they got away with showing them killing you know, the roaches as well. I mean, like Savage shoots that one and like his exoskeleton just like shatters and then mm-hmm. he's like falling, standing on top of him. It's just really something else. But then we get one of the best Superman scenes in all media. I, I mean, agree. I it, agree. It, it, the staging is just awesome. Superman is knocked into the pit. Savage cries out to him and all hope seems to be lost. But we know Superman stands for hope, even if some people don't. And boy, does he ever, when he rises from the pit, and then the Superman theme briefly stirs, 
And it's somewhat Jesus-like, too. I mean, because mm. he's got the long hair and the beard, and he's got this, you know, it's, it's like son of God with the sun in his hand, you know, like say. And and this is how you do it, though, without bat. He's not in, like, a crucifixion pose or something right. like that. But it, it it's just got these subtle, you know, it's not real subtle, but it's not, like, overtly, like, this looks like a painting of Jesus on the cross or something, you know, yeah. or, you know, when he's fallen to earth and in, in, um, and Superman Returns and things like that. So it's just, I mean, I, I, I could talk about that scene all day. I, I, I just wait for that. Every time I watch these episodes, I wait for that scene to happen. Right. And it's really brief. They don't like milk it a whole lot, but it's, it, they, they actually leave you wanting more of it. Mm-hmm. They actually cut out of it quicker than I wanted them to. So it, I always think like it's longer and like epic and takes like five minutes, but it's like maybe like 10 seconds. Yeah. You know, so. The scientist that Savage mentions is Ray Palmer. You know who that is, right? Oh, yeah, Brandon Routh. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. (laughs) Hey, more Superman Exactly. (laughs) Yes, of course, Ray Palmer is the Atom. And we'll see him in the next season. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. You like that? Yeah, I like that. I actually forgot about Brandon Routh, but I think of Brandon Routh as Superman now, as Kingdom Come Superman. Right, think, right. You know, I think of because I just loved him so much in that. Although I do gotta give, I, I'm Cindy and I are really enjoying Superman and Lois. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have really don't digress. That I'm just saying we do. So Savage's speech is just awesome. Uh, do what you always do. What you were born to do. Save the world. Mm-hmm. I, I hope Dwayne McDuffie took the afternoon off. After these Superman moments. Oh, he deserved at least a week. Yeah, give him a week. You know what, Dwayne? Just take the next week off. You, you did it, man. Yeah. And I like that Superman offers his hand in friendship before he leaves. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, that, that's that got to mean something to Savage. That's basically like, you know, it's not saying like so much I forgive you, but it's like, you know, you, you've you've learned your lesson. You you did what you, you know, to, to, to fix this. You know, you're helping me fix this. And I, I think that probably meant a lot to him, the, the savage of the future, you right. know, that he did that. So I, I'm kind of surprised when Superman, you know, makes it back to the present that no one actually runs up and hugs him. Right. You know, it's just, I mean, I thought Wonder Woman might do that. And a hot girl, like, touches his shoulder, but nobody, like, gives him a big, like, gorilla hug or anything, which is kind of surprising. But, uh, you know, hell, Lex got a hug out of Lois, but, you know. <laughs> Don't go back to that. You'll just make me mad again. Sorry. Uh, of course, they have to point out that even Batman was broken up about his death, but he denies it, saying he never believed it, and blah, 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 and all that. So I thought that was cute. Uh, Lobo doesn't try to argue with Superman. You notice that, right? Uh-huh. And he's like, go chase a bail jumper or something. <laughs> he's yep. just like, get out, take a powder, you know. I love it. And you better not mess with Superman right now, because he just went all badass, you know, so... Uh, Green Lantern asks if, if uh, he'll want to get cleaned up, but Superman, he isn't going to waste time on that. they got to go stop him... Vandal yeah. Savage right now. So so how about that ending with Vandal Savage? He's just, you know, he's glad he's disappearing because that means that Superman did his job. Right, right. And I know that might violate some versions of time travel and it's got to be an alternate timeline and blah, 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 all that stuff. But who cares? It it, it, it works for this story. Right. And it's, it's a really great poetic ending. So power action feature. So power action feature, do we even have to talk about it? I mean, no, is there, there, it's Superman. It's Superman in the the orb, the zero point generator, the mini sun. It is one of the greatest moments of this whole series. So of course it it gets yeah. it, so rotating chairperson. And rotating chairperson, 
Superman. It's Superman. Know. I mean, this one. This is a Superman episode. I mean, through and through. Justice League Communicator. Justice League Communicator. There's so many great lines in this one. But, I mean, we usually don't, but I have to give it to Savage because he is summing up Superman to Superman mm-hmm. when he tells him, you know, do what you always do, what you were born to do, save the world. You know, I mean, that's... It's kind of like when McCoy t- tells Kirk, yeah. what have I done? Yeah. This thing you always do, change death into a fighting chance to live. Exactly. You're exactly right. Oh, you got me in the fields because that's one of my favorite Star Trek moments. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, I think anybody writing Superman should watch that scene and soak it in. This is what Superman is about. Even the creators here forgot that in season one. They forgot Superman, that's Superman. And, you know, we'll get to that more in my closing thoughts, but yeah. Comic Connections. Comic Connection, of course we have the 90s death of Superman, funeral for a friend, world without a Superman storyline as inspiration here. And, of course, the Superman Revenge Squad and all their appearances. But Superman Stranded on an Earth with a Red Sun is straight out of Action Comics number 300 in 1963. The classic tale, Superman Under the Red Sun by Edmund Hamilton and Al Plastino. In that story, Superman is lured into the far future by the Superman Revenge Squad. See, it all comes back together. And he finds that the Earth of the future has a red sun and he's trapped there. So he makes it to the fortress, which is no longer in the Arctic. It's all... desert and stuff and he uses a tiny rocket from candor to break the time barrier and return home so that's how that one ends but electricity is evil electricity is evil i mean live wire shocked nearly every leaguer at one point or another in this so yeah she and electricity are pretty evil but also water and electricity don't mix yeah so flash got her back on that one so yeah that that might be electricity is is evil to her, even yeah. though she's electricity. So. <laughs> so what did you think of these two? Oh, it's, I mean, it's great. I mean, you know, it's one of the standouts of the series. Right. Minus the lowest bit in the few. Yeah. <laughs> Again, don't write in. I don't want to hear it. I'm right. You're wrong. The end. <laughs> you know people are going to write in now. Oh, yeah. That's why you say it. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, after really... But again, I'm right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. Of course you do. Of course, even if I didn't agree with you, I—I I, I mean, I'm not just fake agreeing with you to get along. I actually agree with you. Mm-hmm. After really making Superman look like a chump in season one, they showed what a badass he can be in Twilight. But having reestablished him as a powerful character, this one really reminds us that Superman is the hero. He's the guy. He's the one who is going to save the day, even without powers. He's never going to give up. He's always going to try to set things right, and he does. Mm-hmm. And he does the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And that's Superman. And this is Superman. <laughs> there you go. And we're going to take a quick break, and we come back, we'll have your feedback on Eclipsed. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Richard Richard Pryor? Yes, it's Superman 3 Movie Minute. On Superman 3 Movie Minute, we'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film, Five Minutes at a Time. This time around, we don't just have Superman. We have evil Superman, Lana Lang, a scary robot lady, and yes, Richard Pryor. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Oh, you don't know about me and him? 
Me and Superman? It's Citizen Kane Minute. Hosted by film fanatic Rob Kelly and a collection of special guests, Citizen Kane Minute will examine the greatest film of all time, five minutes at a time. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Okay, we're back, and we got feedback from our last episode, which covered the Eclipso episode, Eclipse. Rob Kelly writes in to say, I don't think there's a bigger gulf between how goofy a character looks versus how effective they are as a character than Eclipso. His costume is completely absurd. Dark elf! And yet his power set and overall badassery is high. I love how he looks in this episode as rendered by Tim and company. Cindy, I will let you know I get a lot of action and not the Superman kind, and I was still shocked how Randy you sounded on the last episode. Jealous much? Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the banner. I could hear Chris turn red and hope it continues. The network needs more sexy content. <laughs> well, we're working on that Fire and Water After Dark show, you know. So. <laughs> oh, dear. The Fire and Water Diaries. Okay, Chuck Coletta writes in, Watching right now, I'm planning to listen tomorrow. Always love hearing the Franklin discussing the DCAU. Yeah, we never heard back from you, Chuck. So what did you think of the episode? Yeah. <laughs> come on, Chuck. I know you're busy being a professor, but come on. Liz Ann Oswald wrote in to say, Impressive podcast, most impressive. This was a fun episode. I wasn't the biggest Eclipso fan, but this show used him well. Ah, Bob the Goon's voice actor. I saw him in a lot of stuff as a kid. He was pretty good, though I mostly used to mix him up with Robert England. Well, I can see that pretty quickly. Though I like this guy as Bob and in Conan. Yeah, he was good in both. So, Tim Price writes in, My thoughts on these episodes is almost exactly the same. Most of the story was okay until Flash has to fight the Eclipse League single-handedly. That whole part is amazing and gives Flash a spotlight. No, not that trick he used at the end for his powers and wits to win the day. Great fun. I guess your podcast listeners need a return to basics and Cindy just needs to go back to punching Chris. They can't handle change. Thanks, Franklins. <laughs> Ow! You hit me where I got my COVID shot. Sorry. Oh damn! They said it returned to basics. They didn't say for you to brutalize me. That's right where I got my shot. Ow! Oh God! Get vaccinated, folks, but don't let your wife pitch you there. Damn! I love you. Ugh. They said. Ugh. I was just trying to give our listeners what they wanted. Damn, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> you must be Mephisto. I mean, geez. Uh, symbol Pending said, <laughs> Got my comment in good and early this time. I wonder if the Serpent Men are a callback, deliberately or otherwise, to the Serpent Men and Conan. Ooh, that's a good point. And there's Bob the Goon. Also shared with Lovecraft for that perfect connection between the last two episodes. Hey, that's nice. Yeah, good, good call. Glorious Doug Free writes in, hmm. For you and me, sure, a gaudy costume isn't likely to be something we have ready at any time, but we don't live in a superhero universe where you never know when you might get powers from the littlest random thing. Maybe if I were a DC multiverse resident, I, it might make sense to have at least one super suit always handy for when the occasion comes up. Some six years after this episode aired, action figure maker Mattel made a six-figure box set themed around Eclipsed. It had Flash, four leaguers corrupted via the diamond shards, and lastly, a character mislabeled on the package. The box calls him Eclipso, but it's really Ophidian-possessed 
General McCormick dressed colorfully. Oh, well, I guess you're just not always going to get a character's correct name on their action figure package. Captain Marvel being perhaps the best-known example. Yeah, you know, we really need to... I need to get a database of the JLU figures and and go through them. And whenever somebody appears on here, say, they got an action figure. Right. Because, honestly, I've got a bunch of them. But yeah. I've probably only got about 80% of them. Right. I missed, like I said, those, those big six-packs mm-hmm. and things like that later. They got really expensive. I mean, ridiculously. Oh, yeah. They went from being like $10 for a three-pack to like $20 or $30 for right. a three-pack. It's like, they are not worth 10 bucks. Well, and we had a, Two kids. a new baby and, you yeah. know, everything else. Yeah, it's like, yeah, so it's like, no. So, yeah, but that's funny. Yeah, that's, yeah, Shazam, Captain Marvel, definitely. Uh, Steve Gibbons writes in to say, while the Tim and Company always put their own spin on the characters used in the show, I was surprised at how much they deviated from Eclipso's origin in the comics. They kept the possession angle and use of the Blackheart crystals, but pretty much everything else is original to the show. Given how well they always retain the essential qualities of a character, keeping them linked to their comic book versions, the changes made to Eclipso always seemed odd. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it wasn't very canon. You know, that's, that's true. And Steve writes in, One final comment. Is it just me, or is the last episode now that much hotter because Cindy didn't realize how much smoldering sexual tension... She was bringing to the discussion. Just me? Okay. <laughs> hey, I, I, I whopped him one, you know, so. Yeah, in my, thanks, in my freaking COVID arm. Thanks. I oh, that's it. been three days ago. You're fine. Oh, miss, I got a shot and was sick for two days, so. <laughs> Again, apparently I'm one of the people that has a very severe side effect from that. You did, man. You, whoo, Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have any effects until you hit me. <laughs> Aww. Uh, special thanks to our Patreon supporters for information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Visit patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Extra special thanks to Jorge Luis Castillo and Matt Ryan and new supporter Neil Whitney for specifically supporting JLUcast. See, those guys know where it's at. You are rotating chairpersons. You all get to rotate in your chairs. Yes. So that- <laughs> <laughs> so we thank you very very much yes thank you guys thank you thanks everyone thanks everyone for listening we'll be back next month and we'll talk about the episode secret society Woo, that's a good one mm-hmm. we'll see you then bye bye jlu cast is a franklin and franklin production in association with bugaloo enterprises worldwide and is a proud member of the fire and water podcast network the characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders, and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue Mommy and Daddy. Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for JLUcast and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FWPodcast. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to JLUcast. You tried to take over the world twice. In the long run, not so important. Take it from someone who knows. You're insane. True, but that doesn't mean I'm not good company. Say, you want to come over to my house?